0: So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello, and welcome to Fire in the Belly. Today, we have myself, Mary Pete, and we're joined by the Doreen Ritchie. Good morning. Good
1: morning, Pete. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Well, listen, thank you for coming on the show. So, would you be kind enough to tell us who are you, what do you do, and where do you come from?
1: Well, my name is Doreen Ritchie, um, and I'm from Belfast, born and bred. And um, I'm a life and executive coach at the moment, so that's what I'm doing right now. And I've done for the last two and a half years. Um, before that, I was in business my whole life, um, finance and management, so totally business background. Wow,
0: well, okay. Life and executive coach, break, break that down for us. What, what are we getting?
1: <laughs> what do you get? Um, well, basically, I coach people who maybe are at a crossroads in their lives or you know, who are maybe um, at a certain point in their lives where they really are suffering from um, things like terrible stress or they're, they're maybe just through a divorce or they want to change their career or they maybe just want to change job and they're not very confident about applying, you know, um, or something awful has happened in their life and they haven't worked through it. So basically anybody with some kind of um, nexus, some kind of crossroads or problem in their life. And they come from all walks of life, Um, but mostly I see professional people because um, they want to maybe make their business a bit better. They want to succeed. Um, And basically because that category of people seems to have a lot of pressure and a lot of tension and stress, especially, you know, in the present moment of time where people are getting let off and your business has totally changed. They've maybe had to you know, point the business in a different direction or whatever, or try to think of a new business or something like that. So basically, anybody like that at all who wants to come and just talk through their options or maybe why they're in that situation in the first place, that's what I do. I also do um, workshops for um, businesses who want to maybe help their staff with stress and so on. Um, I've done talks in places like, you know, the Lisbon Enterprise Zone or Craig Alvin and uh, Armada Council and places like that, where um, they're maybe gathering a group of, um, usually women actually, uh, a group of people together to talk about wellness and things like that. They maybe have a few speakers and I'll be one of them because I talk about how to think in a different way, which, which reduces your stress. So basically that's what I've been doing um, for the last two and a half years. As i say before that I was in business and then I left my job um, and then I didn't have anywhere else to go because I just left. And um, that's another story. <laughs> and, um, and then I decided, well, what can I do? I was good with people. I was good with grips because I was ahead of lots of teams and everything when I was working in business. And I was good at bringing people on and seeing solutions to problems. Um, as a coach, You don't actually tell people the solution to their problem, even though you probably can see it a lot of the time. And The the beauty about being a coach is that you're actually guiding people to what their solution of the problem is. And then whenever they realize, you know, that's their truth and that's what they know, then um, it becomes a learning point for them. It becomes an area of growth for them. So I'm not doing the thing for them I'm just guiding them to be at where they need to be in order to solve this problem and go forward and then of course yes together we set goals and stages along the way and so on but basically um it's to do with the person so that's where I am at the moment I operate out of East Belfast actually I operate on Zoom constantly now and have done since lockdown so it works out very well so Hmm. mm -hmm
0: you well a a number of things there i mean can you i suppose give us give us an overview then sort of uh how counseling coaching mentoring you know executive coaching how that all you know what all the different sectors that you see there
1: well it's not counseling per se because i don't have a counseling qualification but i do have a qualification in coaching and life coaching and then i went on to do different courses myself and actually um learned a lot of stuff under uh, different coaches who are sort of obviously a lot better than me and more famous. Um, And that taught me a different way of thinking, which changed my life. So I wanted to then help other people use this way of thinking to change their lives. And mentoring is not the same either. Mentoring is you've really, you know, if you're talking about mentoring in a business sense, you've really got to be somebody who's gone through the type of problem that the person has and you know they know what to do and there's various steps you know, apply for this grant or what about your profit and loss and so on and i did a little bit of business consulting actually while i was still at work so you know that's fine um what was the other one you mentioned It was counseling coaching um, mentoring. Was
0: mentoring and then even sort of executive executive coaching
1: yeah well what i mean by executive coaching is that um I understand where these people are coming from because I've been there and done that, if you know what I mean. So they have various pressures that maybe ordinary people wouldn't have. You know, maybe somebody who owns a business, they don't even just have the pressure on themselves about how they perform, it's how they perform for their staff. And, you know, it's not just their jobs on the line, it's the staff jobs that are on the line. You know, so basically they have that extra added pressure. So I don't tell them what to do with their business, I tell them or show them or help them see how they can think about those things in a different way, which reduces their stress. So when people are calm and they've got great clarity of thought and so on, it's easier for them to make a good decision. Right. I'm sure you'll agree if you're under stress or you know under pressure you don't really want to be making decisions. So if you're constantly under pressure and you're constantly running along to try and keep up, you know, where are you going to actually take a step back? And be able to see the bigger picture you know um, and this happens to a lot of um executives and a lot of people who are who own their own businesses and they really can't see the way through the problem because as i think it was einstein or somebody said you know you're the, the same brain that creates the problem can't really see the solution you know you need so what i do is really just tilt the way they see things in a slightly different direction um So then a solution will come to them, you know, a creative solution will come to them. But it also helps, especially for uh, men, especially for males. It also helps to actually talk through the whole thing, you know. Um, So they may well not be instinctively, you know, they don't instinctively know what's wrong or anything like that. It's easier for them to actually talk through the problem in a logical sequence. And then they get insights as well. So there's two, you know, women come along with different things and I would approach that in a different way as I would than I would if it was a man, because people approach their difficulties in a different way. So, so when I say executive coaching, it's basically um, professional people. And um, as I say, it's not that I'm coaching about the business, I'm coaching them, but then when they go into the business, they're making better decisions, taking better actions and so on. And that's how that works.
0: Well, thank you for explaining that. That's, mm-hmm. That makes sense. And, and a word that's that's reoccurring there a lot for you is is the word change.
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, when I was employed, um, you know, in work, I mean, for example, so I worked in, I'm an accountant, and then I went into the private sector, then I went into the education sector, the voluntary sector, and finally, the public sector, uh, specifically museums. And um, I, I wasn't employed as an accountant by then, I was a manager. So, so absolutely, there's different problems in each area, but always, 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 the answer is change, you know. And it may well not be the change that you're thinking of. It may well be reducing numbers of people. It might be bringing in numbers of people. It might be just cutting down the numbers of procedures. It might be whatever. So, for example, in the museums, I was the financial um I wrote the financial procedures, OK, for the museums. So therefore, things that people took for granted that you had to do because we were constrained by the department and so on as to how we had to approach things, because obviously we're dealing with public money and everything has to be terribly accountable. Well, when you got down onto the ground, you know, you got down into the shops and, the, um, you know, the museums themselves and cafes and things like that, those, those constraints, those big structural things, those didn't really work. So you had to find a solution whereby those things were met, but actually it worked for normal people doing a normal job every day. So that's basically where I, you know, I came in, I wrote the financial procedures that everybody could follow, we worked together and so on. So um, it was always about change. And if somebody found a different way, I would always say to my teams, if you can think of a different way of doing this, because, you know, I don't know if you're, ever had experience of the public sector and bureaucracy but basically the bureaucracy would drown you I mean like literally you could just drown in the paper of the paperless office you know um we're all supposed to have paperless office no way anyway um basically if you didn't try all the time to cut down on that it wasn't workable so I would say to people look, if you can think of a different way of doing this which is better then please let me know and that's how we worked. You know, we were always trying to refine something or change it or cut that part out or, you know, how can technology take over from this bit or, you know, so it was constantly change. And that's what that's what I'm pretty good at. I'm pretty good at change management. And so whenever I decided to do coaching, basically, I realized that this is me helping other people change their lives. So that's one of my strap lines, you know. I help you change your life, basically. Um, and it's not just about refining things or cutting things down, but it actually has the same end result that people do change. And when they come to coaching, they think they're coming with maybe one or two problems. And they think, oh, I'll change that bit and I'll be fine. But whenever you go through the process, obviously, you become aware that that's only a very small part of the agenda, that's just a symptom of what the problem is. And then whenever they try, tried it, whenever they change that problem or whenever they overcome that problem or they look at it in a different way or whatever, it actually changes their whole lives. And they may not, some people may not have actually wanted their whole lives changed. So, you know, it may well be quite clear from early on that this woman shouldn't stay with her husband. Right. But she didn't really want to come for that. You know, she wanted to come because she was a wee bit annoyed about something or she was not self-confident about looking for another job. So you have to sort of say to people, look, this will actually change you. It changes how you think about things. And you may well find that other areas of your life then will be impacted. And there'll be huge changes and transformations and, you know, people leaving the country and living somewhere else and getting divorced and all that. So um, it's very powerful, you know, and when you want to change you, you need to, you know, I would just say to people, just be aware that everything changes to a certain or to a greater or lesser extent. But that's a brilliant thing because, of course, change is great. Change is where you're growing and you don't actually become any different or learn anything or realise anything good unless you're actually in a zone of being, you know, uncomfortable. You're outside your comfort zone. That's the only time you really, really learn when you're challenging yourself. So basically, if you want to grow as a human being, you know, not just because of A, B, C, D or E, then I would say coaching is absolutely
0: fantastic for you. That's, that's interesting, you know, even with change that it's, you know, whether you consciously want to change as you say it might just be one part, but they're all integral in each other right so one affects the other. Um, But is it conditional change? I want to change the bit that I know or the bit that I'm prepared to change. Well,
1: you know, a woman came to me once who was spending too much. So she came to me for money coaching because I do money coaching. And she came to me because she was spending too much money. And then what she was doing was she was going every lunch hour and buying lots of clothes or toiletries or whatever. And uh, she felt great about that, except at the end of the month, of course, when half of them were still in the cupboard, half of them weren't done wrapped, you know. And she had a big hole in her bank balance so um you would think then i would be sitting down with her and going through this whole money thing and budgeting and all that and yes that was some part of it but actually we really wanted to look at why she was doing that right so this woman was living with her husband sorry her partner but like a husband for years and years and years one daughter who had gone to um college by this stage and um, she was a very senior civil servant but She didn't speak up in meetings. She didn't put forward her expertise in the meeting. She was sort of looked over, if you know what I mean. Um, At home, her husband didn't work, her partner didn't work. So she paid all the bills, the mortgage was in her name, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So she went out and she spent all this money on clothes, and that's all she wanted fixed. But at the end of the day, of course, that isn't the problem. You know, she was buying things to help fill this void that was actually in her. And this void was a lack of love and care and so on. Now, ostensibly from her husband or partner, but also um, from herself. She didn't value herself. She didn't rate herself as being good at anything, even though she had the job and all to show she was good, technically on paper, but she couldn't even bring that out. Now, at the end of the day, this woman, um, separated from her partner very amicably, sold her house, bought a beautiful apartment somewhere and went off to China for a month's holiday at the end of it, you know, um, got a really good result in her work, was able to speak up, um, got different projects to do, people started respecting her, um, all because, you know, she started to realise the value of herself and, and who she was and everything and what she brought to the table. And she started to have self-confidence in herself. Oh, and by the way, she stopped buying things at lunchtime. Just as a, by the way, you know. So what I mean is that, you know, you can think that you have this problem and people people think this is what is wrong. But actually what I teach is that whenever you start to think about, okay, so what is that showing you and everything else? Obviously, and, and counsellors do this too, of course. That's actually just a symptom of what the real problem is. So... We need to get to the bottom of that problem. We need to see, well, why are you telling yourself this story, that you're no good at things? You know, why are you telling yourself the story that you're not worthy of love or that, you know, what's 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 that about, you know? So basically, you know, as I am saying, people come with one thing, and then suddenly they transform their lives completely without really knowing it, without intending
0: it, you know? How often do you find that, I mean... Uh you know, causes are dressed up as as symptoms?
1: Most of the time, that's what it is. You know, somebody came to me about money again another time, and that she didn't even know how many credit cards they had, apparently. And at the end of the day, um, it was because she was running away from responsibilities in her home because she wasn't getting support, and she was afraid to ask for it. And it turned out, you know, that her parents have behaved exactly the same way and you know it, it all you know most of it goes back to your childhood because that's where we're programmed and most of it goes back to your parents but it could be siblings or it could be uh, close relatives or it could be some traumatic events that happened to you or it could be teachers. you know anything but most of it comes from a story you tell yourself about your life or about who you are or what you're worth So that's what you keep telling yourself. You don't know that you're telling yourself that. It's subconscious. But it sort of colors everything that you do and everything that you look at. And they're called limiting beliefs. So that's basically, we all walk about with all these limiting beliefs and and try to make the best of things. Um, But we're 90% habitual people and our thoughts are 90% habitual and our actions are... So basically, unless you're aware that that's the case, you're not going to change it because it's a habit and you react exactly the same way to the same things every time and you go the same route to work and you know you could be halfway down the road on autopilot and you suddenly wake up think, oh, how did I do that five miles there I wasn't even thinking and that's why because you're basically on autopilot but you're on autopilot a lot of your life you know during the day and with people and same types of people you react the same way to the same types of people and so we're creatures of habit really
0: do, do we, do we, I mean, and because I'm, I'm interested in, because you bring in the change aspect, I mean, are we seeking familiarity or are we seeking, um, you know, that, that sort of pre-gone conclusions? Are we seeking confirmation? Well, a lot of that is you know? subconscious, of
1: course, but what you are doing is you're seeking to stay in your comfort zone and you feel safe when you know what the outcome is and whether that outcome is good or bad. By the way, you know, like if people are, you, you might say, well, you know, uh, domestic abuse. Why do women stay in that situation? You know they know it's wrong, and and um, they're being um, abused and so on. But it's very clear um, that actually people do that because not it's not just because they don't have anywhere to go. It's because it's still safe because they know what the outcomes are going to be, and unfortunately, that's where we feel. Open.
0: So what what does fire in the belly mean to you, Doreen?
1: Fire in the belly. Well, so. What I say is what makes your heart sing. So what makes my heart sing is, you know, I got out of a lot of stuff. I got myself right. I changed my life. And if I can do it, you can do it. Anybody can do it with help, right? I didn't have any help. It took me a few years. So my fire in the belly is saying to people, you don't have to go through all that on your own and for two or three or four or five years. I can help you see how to do it now. and. And my, my fire in the belly is seeing these people, you can actually see them during a session, they come in like this, and then during the session, something happens, and they're like this, and they walk out the door, and they're walking feet, basically, you know, and that's my fire in the belly, I go, yes, these people now, this woman or man or whatever, they now think about something differently. They, they are stronger, they feel more self-confident, they know how to reduce their stress levels, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they're now going to start creating a better life for themselves. And because, you know, my sort of mantra is live your life, you know, live your life. And I don't mean exist from nine to five and maybe have a few days off during the summer or a nice weekend away sometime. I mean, like live your life every moment. Because that's all we have, we only have the moment, you know, there isn't any future, the past is gone, and um, we only have this moment in time, that's where we experience life, because everything else is just thought, if you think about it. Everything's in the present, so, you know, you really need to make sure that your present is what you want, because it's all we have. So, yeah that's what I would say to people live your life it's not a dress rehearsal I'm always saying this it's not a dress rehearsal you don't get to go over it again now you can change it in such a way that you have another life which is different from the one you were living which is what I did but it doesn't it's not the same life I'm still getting older every day you know I don't have the same opportunity I had when I was young but I maybe have different opportunities that I can pick up on which is what's happened but you really need to be able to see these opportunities. You need to be in the right mindset so that the opportunities, which are always there, you can see them and take you know advantage of them. So that's why I would say don't you know don't settle. You know that's my fire in the belly. Don't settle. Don't settle for second best. Don't settle for and no, this isn't very good, but sure there's nothing else because there is you know and you can find it. You know so that's what I that's my fire in the belly to say to people who have maybe been. You know, they don't know who they are. Lots of people come to me and they're like, lost? They don't really know who they are. And you just think, well, you're not living your life, are you? And like, as I say, we only get it once. So you're not making the most of it. So, yeah, live your life. That's my fire in the belly. That's my, you know, I'm helping them to see that they can do that if they want to.
0: How big do you think that pandemic is in terms of people who are lost?
1: Oh, you don't mean the COVID pandemic, you mean, uh, absolutely. People who are lost, I would say, probably 90% of people. Do you know, because, how can you not be? I would say, I mean, I haven't met very many people who were, I've met some people who were driven, but they were still lost. Because they're driven for different reasons. You know, they're driven because it's daddy's company. or uh, It's, um. you know, they have to do this and have to do that for the family or to keep up a certain level of living or, you know, whatever people are lost yes who are you you know I mean especially and you know I'm not being sexist at all but it comes out more with women people like you know here maybe in their late 40s or something and the children have left home or they're just about to leave home and these women you know suddenly nobody needs them anymore you know they're not needed as a mummy they're looking at the husband they've lived with for 30 years and they go like who's he you know and he's probably thinking the same thing because for the last 25 years all they've talked about is children, you know, about what other what other things that have in common anymore. And maybe because of her age or because of the level that she's at in her business or whatever, she's maybe being passed over for um for promotion, you know, maybe younger people coming in. So so maybe she's stuck in her job as well. And she doesn't really know, like, do I want to do this for another 15 years until I retire? You know. So basically they don't know who they are. Like I didn't know who I was. So you don't really know who you are because all your life you've looked after everybody else. You've done what everybody else wanted or, or or things that you had to do. You know, you have to be able to pick the children up if anything's wrong. You have to have, so therefore you have to have a job which, you know, that doesn't start meetings at like six o'clock at night because you have to be home to pick the kids up and make the dinner. And, you know, Although, yes, of course, there's loads and loads and loads of business women out there who, who don't do that and who have got good childcare. The vast majority of women are in part time jobs because of that, you know, because it suits them to stay there, be there for the children and so on. But then when the children are gone, you know, where are you? I mean, some women absolutely embrace it and go crazy and start a new career and have fun and have, you know, great things happen. But a lot of people don't you know so and, spe- and and with men as well you know men maybe get to a certain level in their organization and they're very senior and they can't go any further but you know it's harder and harder to keep up the joneses it's harder and harder to make you know money go where it's meant to go you've got three kids at university they need all this money you know and that's what the man he's sitting going well you know all i am is a money making machine or a, a, all i do is work and bring stuff home and where's my work-life balance you know so, yeah, although they're quite, you know, they're slightly different sort of takes, but it's the same problem, you know. When do you have time for yourself? You know, when do you actually feel who you are? Do you know what you want anymore, even? You know, because people don't.
0: Is there a, is there a time, or are you, do you see a common thread in terms of when people start asking that question, you know, when, and it goes past yeah
1: yeah there's a lot of people who come so i would say my age groups were like you know from early 30s maybe to late 30s and then later on so maybe 40 so there's two sort of groups there's the younger people and the, and the, the middle-aged people kind of i'll say middle-aged but they're not middle-aged they're from 45 up. you know what i mean and basically the younger people are trying to juggle every ball they have in the air at the same time and it's not working and the wheels are coming off and then the other, and they're taking that out on each other. So the marriage is falling apart or whatever, you know, and they never see their kids. And then there's the other side where, yes, they've had this stable marriage. They've had a normal, ordinary job, or maybe a, maybe even progressed in a job, but the children are right on. And they want something more because like whenever you're 60 now or 55 or whatever, you've still got like 30 years of life to do things with. You know, if you think that's, maybe, that's nearly your whole adult life again. So nobody wants to just fade away into nothing. But like, what are you What are you going to do if you really don't have any kind of idea who you are, except that you're just not happy? I mean, people come to me and just say, look, I don't even know what's wrong, but I'm just not happy. I'm just stuck or lost or those are the words that we'd use. And they don't even know why. They don't know. in they could just say it's everything, you know, and and so therefore, how can they fix that themselves? Because they don't they don't know what they're looking at. Or why it's like that?
0: How does that make you feel?
1: Was, <laughs> at the beginning. <laughs> you feel, well, that's, how am I supposed to fix this? But the thing is, the thing is I don't fix it. It's not that I fix it. It's that I allow them to feel that that they can fix it, that actually the answers are within themselves. because everybody, I believe inside themselves, You know, they have have innate wisdom and resilience and courage and strength. And everybody has this. Now, we don't, a lot of people don't recognize that they have it until maybe they're in like dire straits, you know, and then they realize they do have resilience because something terrible happens to them. Or they do have strength because something awful happens. But you don't normally think to yourself on a daily basis, you know, should I really listen to my innate wisdom here? You know, and a lot of people say well, you know, my gut feeling was I should do this, but sure, you can't be going with your gut feeling. And I'm going, no, actually, <laughs> that's, that's what's telling you this is wrong for you or, you know, don't go there or, you know, that person shouldn't be in your life or whatever. That's your inner wisdom saying to you, could you just calm down a bit? Can you just get in touch a wee minute and just see what you really want? Can you think it through? And I think that's what, because we're all so busy living in the past or the future, we don't take time to live in the present and of course that's where your life experience is in the present and that's where you would have you know you would be able to calm down that's where creativity would come to you in the present so of course you can't be creative about things if you're never there you know if you're always up in your mind you know thinking about the things that happened in the past and what's going to happen tomorrow and worry 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 so when you don't calm down and you don't sit still, you won't find that out. But if people did that more often, they would be able to maybe think more about what would be good for them in their lives and maybe think more about their own um, attributes and their own capacities for, you know, love and compassion and strength and creativity and everything else. And that would make them feel better about themselves and give them more self-confidence and so on. So, so all I'm trying to do, I don't need to fix their problems. What I show them is a different way of looking at that so that they are able to see the way through it. That's all.
0: No, a lot of sense there, and, and thank you for sharing <laughs> that. Talk to us then about your journey.
1: My journey? Well. Well, I was married with. Had three sons and um, went to university, had three sons, got a job as an accountant, then went into management um, went through all the different sectors and so on and so forth. Learned a lot of stuff and um, ended up in the public sector in the museums um, for 11 years. Um, separated from my husband. And. Um, but before that, I had an accident. And this is what really set me off on this journey. So if I can tell you about the accident. I had a really bad car accident uh, on the M3 just before Christmas. I think it was 2010. Um, and I didn't get hurt. All that, was, all that was wrong with me was very bad. Whiplash. So I was off work for weeks because it was really, really bad. But actually i should have been dead um because this huge lorry hit me and you know spun me around in front of it bounced off the front of it again bounced off the barrier and as i was going to the barrier, i actually remember thinking you know i'm going to go through the barrier and then and then it's right down you know it's where the m3 and all crossover and i thought this is me down into the water and i'm going to die should, am i going to die with the, and this is within the space of like two seconds you know. So I bounced off the, because I didn't realise you'd bounce off barriers, if you know what I mean. So (laughs) bounced off the barrier, back into the lorry, and then off the barrier again. And then I was left facing the oncoming traffic in the fast lane with the traffic coming at me, you know. And this guy actually was able to stop with about, I don't know, six inches to spare. So all this time I'm thinking, I'm going to die now. No, I'm going to die now. No, I'm going to die now, (laughs) you know. And then I didn't die. And then I was sort of sitting in the car, which was wrecked and um and all this traffic and I was thinking oh my goodness there must be because it was hour. I thought there must be you know queued right back to Lisbon this is awful everybody's gonna <laughs> everybody's gonna be cursing me anyway I was in tears because the car was wrecked but this police man came along anyway He was quite quickly there and then they had the ambulance and then I was boarded off you know with the ambulance and so on but the policeman said to me, my God, he said, somebody must have been looking out for you this morning because you should be dead. Because it was this huge lorry that did recovered metal and everything going down to Queen's Island, you know, it's a massive thing. And I said, look, I don't believe in anything like that. So, you know, nobody was sitting up there at all. There's no reason why I was spared, blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, look, love. He says, maybe you were just spared to live your life. And here's me. Yeah, maybe I was. Right. Fine. You know, get me out of here. So really all I was thinking of was my car anyway the upshot of it was um I was lying in hospital about to go for X-rays and things like that and it just came back to me maybe the purpose was for you to live your life and it just hit me like this like it wasn't even a light it was just like this realization of a complete truth that I hadn't been living my life for the last 10 years. I had been existing. I had been going to work every day because I worked full-time through all my pregnancies and everything else. Coming back as women do, do the dinner, do the groceries on the way back, do the homeworks every, you know, all the housework, everything, whatever. And then the next day, get up and do exactly the same thing. And then the weekend was for catching up with all the stuff you didn't get done during the week and so on. And then you went back to work again and my work was quite high pressured because you know I was in the top of the department and all the problems came through me and so on so anyway it just actually hit me in the hospital I thought my god that's all I've been doing for years like years where do I come in you know who who on earth am I I mean I could have been dead my sons would have been burying me on Christmas Eve that Christmas and I thought like have i lived have i done anything Have i you know haven't done anything i've had three children okay i brought three children up you know and they're not into drugs and they're fantastic lovely boys so that's that's an achievement but that's basically it do you know and so uh, for over the over the next few months that actually just um just fermented in my mind and i kept now because i wasn't i didn't have a happy marriage so I literally just, I got to May. So that was at Christmas and I got to May and I decided I was going to go to Dingle on my own to get away from everything because the youngest, I think, was 14 or something. And so I literally took four days and I went, five days actually, I went down to Dingle, which is as far away as I could think of that I could drive, that nobody would come after me. So I basically chose (laughs) the furthest point in Ireland that I thought I'd be able to drive to by myself because I'd never driven that far before it was six hours drive. And I went to Dingle and I had an absolutely fabulous four days in Dingle, just walking the beaches, walking hills, going out to the wee pubs at night and talking to people and which I didn't think I could do all of it. I didn't think I could do. And there I was doing it, you know, and then I drove back and I knew then, you know, that I wanted to, I wanted a divorce. So that started that off. So that started me off on the the road to who was I, you know, and then when I realized, well, who I was, wasn't just this person that got up every morning and did all these things and then went to bed and did the same thing and that I deserved some happiness and that I deserved to actually go whatever way I wanted to go without always having to be something for somebody else. Not that I had resented my children at all and I loved them to bits. But you just get subsumed by all of the stuff that you have to do. So whenever that came out, whenever I realised that, and as I say, I went through a divorce, and that was horrendous. And if anybody had told me at the beginning, it's going to be like this, I maybe wouldn't have had the courage to do it. But I didn't know how bad it would be until I started. And I, I'm a Taurian. I don't know if it's something to do with that. I'm Taurus. But, but once I decide on doing something, I don't go back on it I never go back so I wasn't persuadable if you know what I mean there was nothing that could have persuaded me to do differently or to go and there was no regret whatsoever because it was such a long time coming Pete that it was just that was it you know so so you know we separated and then there was two years of arguing about financial settlement and so on and that two years was probably the worst two years of my life it was just awful apart from the fact that i was on my own which was great that part of it was great you know with my youngest son because he was still living with but anyway after that two years i decided then i was i actually chose i made the decision that now i was going to get out of this and i was going to live so that had taken like two and a half years to get to the point from when I thought this is what I need to do to where I was able to start doing it and that's whenever I you know started going onto the internet and looking I had friends in Dublin and I would go down to Dublin I had friends on the internet who were from Dublin but I'd never met and um so then I decided I meet up with them because I'm going to be able to go away for the weekend and I'm going to be able to do this and do this and that opened up this whole new thing of i could just pop over to london and see a play if i want you know because this these friends that i had in dublin were um in the theater and so on so i met a lot of actors irish actors and things like that you know and then i would follow them if they went to a play and to do a play in london or whatever and sort of i sort of got into that scene kind of thing and um, that was fantastic just meeting people and I remember somebody said to me once, but yes, why do you, you know, why do you and down to Dublin all the time? And over I just me connection. I just want to connect with people because all my life, well, all my adult life from I was married, it was like the only people you connected with were your family and your in-laws and that's it. You know, you maybe had a couple of friends which sort of fell by the wayside because they weren't encouraged, shall we say. Um, so that was it. You maybe had colleagues at work. So I wanted to connect with all sorts of people from all sorts of different lives and so on. And one person that I did connect with, and he, he was a great friend of mine, he came from Limerick, but he was living in Rome. So he did coding. And so he was able to work anywhere in the world as long as he had the Internet and so on. And so what he did was he went around Europe, to all the um, capital cities, and he stayed a couple of months in each capital city in a beautiful apartment because he had lots of money. And he would code away. And he was still working for this Dublin firm. But this, in fact, I think he's still doing it. Um, but I think he has stayed in Rome for the last number of years. But anyway, so he started saying to me, you know, what about your, you know, do you meditate and all? He was really into personal development. I could believe this. You know, I didn't realize that people meditated every day. And, <laughs> you know, there were all these things you could do to try and help yourself and so on. So he put me down that road. He put me on that road um, to meet other people, to go to Um, different classes and things that there were in Belfast at the time. He knew more about it than I did. You know, that you could go to lectures and they would tell you this and they would have different people talking and so on. Um, And he got me on to, you know, Eckhart Tolle and people like that. So, and he invited me to Rome. I went to Rome and totally fell in love with Italy. Absolutely fell in love with Rome anyway. And so then the next year I took my son my son, who was 15 at the time, and he said he would come with me to Italy. And we went to uh, Tuscany and we went to Florence and so on and all around Tuscany. And I then totally fell in love with Florence. So then, then I'd been going to Florence every year since for a month, every year. And um, except this year I had to cancel. Um, but I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with the language. I went back the next year on my own for a month. And I didn't know anybody there. And I went and learned or started to learn Italian at, this, at a school, you know, a college in, in Florence. And I met loads and loads of friends there from all around the world because people would come to Florence to learn Italian for whatever reason. And I had a wheel, a wheel of a time for that month. It was fantastic. And so I came back from that really quite a different person, but on the road to personal development and finding out who I was and what I wanted to do with my life and so on. And that was sort of another start, if you know what I mean. That was like, you know, that was the next stage. So sort of from a way down here, then there was this bit and then there was this bit and then there was this bit, you know what I mean. So, so I kept up the Italian and I took a degree when I came back um, to um, teach English as a foreign language. So I had also just finished a master's. Um, once I finished the master's, I thought, well, what am I going to do? Because um, all this time you suddenly have left whenever you're not actually studying for a master's. So then I went to Italy. Then I came back and said, well, I'm going to keep up the Italian. So I went to night classes in Queens and I'm also going to teach English to Italian people who live here. So I did the TEFL course, did that, did my 120 hours and so on and started teaching people. So that was like a side thing that I would tutor um Italian business people who were living here Um, and then a year or so later um I was tutoring somebody and he said well his cousin was just coming over from from Naples and would I maybe um help him as well and I said yes that would be great And he said come and meet him and then that turned out to be my partner so I met him four years ago and when we started going out and that was that sort of for the last four years anyway but still this Italian theme through throughout um, And as I say, of course the Italians live differently from us. they're different types of people, although they do like us, they come over in their droves actually. Um, but basically they' such they're such charming people and they're very uh, in touch with their feelings and they're very in touch with life and everything that whenever you're with them, it's a real it's a real uplifting experience, you know, because they are so full of life and, and everything. So that was another brilliant thing that happened. You know, that was a brilliant thing. And then I decided to leave work um, and do something that I really wanted to do. And that was sort of not, at the end of the day, it wasn't a big decision. At the end of the day, it was just, okay, they want rid of people in the civil service. Right, okay, I'm going to ask, can I go? Uh, I didn't have a job to go to. And um, I put my house up for rent and moved out of the family home. Down to a two-bedroom apartment in Belfast and um, got rid of everything in the house, gave it all away. And basically that's when the second life started, if you know what I mean. So I've been living the second life now for four years. <laughs> so then I decided, well, what am I good at? Well, I'm good with people and I like, I'm good at teams and I'm good at you know helping people and so on. So I know what about life coaching? So then that's when I started on that journey.
0: I mean, that's that's a huge, like, I come, back to, I come back to change. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm just going to move out and rent the home and get rid of everything and, yeah.
1: It was all in a month as well. It was from the 31st of December and I moved in here on the 2nd of February. So in that month, I'd given up work, given up my home, got it ready for renting and found an apartment and moved in with this new partner. Um, and I didn't know if anything would work. No job, but no I just thought, well, I'm a finance, so you can temp. So I just temped and got temporary contracts everywhere for a few months and so on and so forth. And did that until I decided to to go and um, do my diploma in coaching. So, what yeah.
0: what, what changed? I mean, because, you know, obviously from the coaching point of view, you, you talk about, you know, from, was it from great overwhelm comes great change. You know, what what came to the point of you just saying, right, enough?
1: Well, that was way back in my at the end of my marriage. That was enough. Well, it was the accident. It was the accident that showed me. It was like, do you know what it was like? It was like, it was like the universe was going, by the way, would you do something with your life? <laughs> because because you were nearly dead there. And What have you left behind? Three children, you know, who now have no mother what have you left behind nothing what have you ever done nothing you know okay yes you've done bits and you know but really you hadn't actually changed anything you hadn't made people better you hadn't you know because I was thinking you know then afterwards like I have all this experience of life I have experience of hardship sometimes um and yet how is that going to better anybody you know how's that going to help anybody and then I was seeing my friends my friends were in the same position that I'd been in maybe and um I was telling them you know look you can do it if you think about things like this or whatever you know try and see it like that you do have the strength you know it's not that you don't have the strength it's just you don't realize that you have the strength um things like that so then whenever that's when I thought look if I formalize this slightly and just because I'd been teaching, you know, the, and I did lots of voluntary teaching as well with um, immigrants and things like that. And you heard their stories, you know, you heard their stories. I mean, horrendous stories coming out of Syria and so on. And those people had such a will to survive, such, you know, such a purpose um, to survive and to send children out and everything else. It was amazing. And we're sitting there thinking, God, we've got problems. No, sorry, we don't, you know. So, so there was this kind of, it all like came together around about that time that sort of made me think, you know, there's a lot that you can give back that you have not even thought of yet. You don't even know what it is that you can do or that you can give back because you haven't explored it yet. So that's sort of like a mantra for me. I, I tend to just challenge myself to do something different all the time. And sometimes I like it and sometimes I don't, and sometimes I keep it on and sometimes I let it go. But I do sort of challenge myself to do different things and to see how my experience can help somebody else in different things. So like I I did a last year, I applied to Queen's to do a course, to give a course. And I had no, I just thought there's no, I mean, I just did my master's here. Who on earth is going to employ me to do a course. And I got it. I mean, it was like, there was like five months. And there were numbers of things you had to do and and fill in and so on. And, but I did it. And then I started the course last, I started giving the course last October. It was canceled there in April and October, but it's starting again in January. Um, And that was called change your mind, change your life. And in the first, after the first lecture, it was two hours each one. um, These two girls came up to me and said, we're going to hand our notice in. Look, don't get ahead of yourselves, please. (laughs) And she said, No, no, but we can't, no, we will, we will, because we've been thinking about it. But you've just what you could say in there has been, and I've got, oh my goodness, you can't. Just because I said what happened to me doesn't mean you can just go and and I thought, oh my god, this is terrible. And do you know both of them did? And one of them has got a fantastic job with a different um company, and the other one started her own company and is doing really, really well. Do you know? And then there were other people during the course who changed different aspects of their lives or changed their relationships with their relatives who, you know, so I could really see the effect of this. I thought, this is brilliant, you know? And then somebody asked me to uh, write a book, well, co-author a book on, um, on things. So that's it there that was me, one chapter. But at the same time, it was like, hey, that's a different thing to do. You know, actually write something in a book. So now I'm a, a, a registered author or whatever with Amazon. Isn't that brilliant? Then somebody said, well, what about talks? And I thought, yeah, I'd actually like to go into companies and, you know, help that way because having worked in business my whole life, you know, I know what the staff sometimes have to put up with in the way of stress and so on and so forth. And um, so I did that for a while. In fact, it was going very well until COVID. Um, and then COVID sort of put a kibosh on that. Um, but I hope that will pick up again. Um, so So standing up in front of people at Queen's, to give a lecture for the first time it was like why who am I you know what is this are you stupid how you can't do this right this is like the last four words that I said to myself and I thought no and I got up and two minutes later I just thought I absolutely love this I love this you know and it was like this whole new thing that I could do that I didn't know I could do five minutes ago but but I still I didn't know that I could do it but I still applied to do it I still wrote the course I still, know and each time i was writing and each lecture i wrote i thought look this is really stupid because you won't be able to do this but even though i didn't know that i could do it i still challenged myself to do all the prep for it and it wasn't until i actually got up in front of the class and and started lecturing that i realized i could do it and i actually liked it and the same with the talks you know up until like five minutes before I'm okay then. Five minutes before I think, I can't do this. Who's going to listen to me? This is going to go down like a lead balloon. And then everybody likes it. And you think, hey, I can do this. I like this, you know. And then it comes across, of course, whenever you're enjoying doing something, it comes across. So the message comes across. So I think if you, you know, we have long lives, really. You know, there's so much that you could do that you're not challenging yourself to do. There's so many. Everybody has so many things that they could be doing for themselves or doing for other people or just aspects of who they are that they could bring out. You know, some people write books, some people volunteer, some people do all sorts of things. And the more people that do that, the better the world is. But we've all got it. You know, there isn't one person. There's not one person, I believe, who doesn't have some sort of talent that's hidden or some sort of thing that they could do to give other people. I, I, I think everybody has something and they just haven't discovered it yet. It could be just playing the piano. It could be just, you know, giving your music to people. It could be just helping somebody in the street. It could be, you know, cleaning things up. It could be anything. But we've all got it, but we don't actually, we don't challenge ourselves to use it because maybe we don't know it's there.
0: So. Well, is it a case of not knowing it's there or, or is it some other reason that it's it doesn't come out?
1: Well, I didn't know I could do any of this until I started doing it. I knew I was intelligent because I had degrees. I knew I could do a good job at work, but anything else was just not there. I'm not a creative person. You know, I didn't think I was a creative person. Um, But it's also, yes, it's the way you're brought up. And I don't mean how bad or good your parents are. I just mean... We are all like sponges from the ages of naught to seven, as I tell people. And we just absorb the culture of our families, the culture of the society we're in. If there's things on the media nowadays, of course, the children just absorb that. So all those mores and norms and everything else we absorb and we think it's reality. And we live our whole lives thinking this is reality. All these things that we put into our heads or they put into our heads, sorry, we think that's life, that's true, okay? And it's not, it's somebody else's opinion. So then whenever you get to your, you know, 20s or something and you believe A, B, C, D and E and you keep on as if you're not good at this or you weren't you weren't really cut out for that or, well, this doesn't matter if you did that. You know, whatever you're, especially with money, you know, you have to work really long hours to get money or, you know, money is the root of all evil, or whatever. Whatever you were taught at, the dinner table, basically, if you even have a dinner table now, you know, that's what you believe is real. And the meanings that you put on things, you know, people will look at different people on TV and you'll hear mom and dad saying, oh, no, we'll look at him. He's asked such and such. Right. Or your favourite aunt will t- tell you not to go near this type of person because there are such whatever. This is what young children believe to be fact. They don't question it because they can't. Their brain hasn't developed that far yet. So then you go through a bit of a rebellious period in your teenage years where you do actually question everything that was taught to you. But if you don't find another way of thinking, it comes back again. It's just a little bit of a rebellion. Right. But then if you do, if you become more aware of yourself and you become more interested maybe in personal development, then you can start to become aware of actually everything that isn't happening to me at this moment in time is a thought it's just a thought it's just a memory or it's a worry about tomorrow but it's a story that i'm making up it's what i've been told i've been told 27 million times whenever i was young you know that i wasn't any good at sport because my elder brother was brilliant at sport right so i grew up my whole life thinking i'm good at sport I can't do any sport. I hate sport. I don't like gym. I don't play hockey, blah, blah, blah. It turns out in my 20s, I realised I was actually very good at swimming. So I loved swimming. But you know what I mean? Like you, you just think to yourself, you believe what you're told when you're young and you don't question it.
0: Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without a great guest taking the time to share their personal journeys. And by the way, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon, and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons, and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly, and be the mightiest version of you.